Turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter number 21. The book of Matthew, chapter number 21, in verses 12 through 14. Matthew 21, 12 through 14. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help this to be a house of prayer. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to help us to maintain our fervency and desire to call on your name. God, I pray, have your way tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated in Jesus' name. Amen. I apologize that our projector is, is down. We bought new bulbs and put them in, and they, that didn't solve the problem. And so we'll figure something else out. So you follow along in your Bibles. I don't have a lot of scriptures for you tonight. I just have something on my heart. And uh, I want to talk to you about being a house of prayer, about being a, a house of prayer. Anyone who has been paying attention realizes that we're living in perilous times. The spirit of the age, it seems like, in our society is a time of discord and trouble. Our country seems to be at a boiling point. I don't know that I've ever really noticed uh, a time when there was so much division in our nation. Anytime you see trends play out in major ways in public, you will very often parallel that, that something is happening in the spirit realm. If there's great turmoil that goes on for a long period of time in the natural realm, it is usually a reflection that there's something really stirred up in the spirit realm as well. And so in Revelation, the book of Revelation 12 says that the devil has come down having great wrath. That word wrath, as I've mentioned to you very often, is passion and anger. He has great passion because he knows he has but a short time. The devil is working overtime because he realizes he's running out of time. And so the entire world is caught in the struggle of the ages. The, the moral fiber of our nation is crumbled. We've talked about it. We've seen the signs of it. We've We've, we've seen trends, haven't we, for decades of what's going on in the world. But the fact is that all of the things that we have been witnessing, the buildup to it seems like it's taking place now. The real, real love and compassion are almost non-existent. People are very selfish in this end time. Confusion and upheaval have swept across this country like a tidal wave. 
Brothers and sisters, this is not the time for us to get worldly and carnal and sinful. It's not the time to get spiritually lazy and lethargic and passive. This is the moment of history that God's church must step up to another level. Amen. I, let me say that again. This is the moment in history that God's church must step up to another level. The need of this hour is a powerful, persistent, passionate, prevailing, praying church. Amen. The need is far greater than most of God's people realize. You know what I've, you know what I've, I've, I've noticed? There's a book that a, a business leader named Jim Collins wrote several years ago. The title of the book is Good to Great. And in Good to Great, he makes a statement. He said, the enemy of great is good. That when we get satisfied with good, it becomes the enemy of greatness. And the follow-up to that book, that book, it, uh, it stirred up a man by the name of Tom Rayner, who was at that time the head of the publishing division of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he wrote a book called Breakout Churches. And he took that statement that Jim Collins made that the enemy of good, the enemy of great is good, and the first line of his book, Breakout Churches, is it is a sin to be good if God has called you to be great. And so what I'm doing right now is I'm taking something that I feel that God is, is really using and blessing, and that is the prayer ministry of this church. And I'm just trying to push us to make sure that we understand that there's greatness within us when we pray. The need of this hour is a powerful praying church. Amen. Christians are embroiled in one of the most heated holy battles of all time. The battle against the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. And if we're going to prevail in this spiritual battle, it's going to be because we learned how to pray. Amen. Prayer is something that we can't fail at. Prayer is something that we can't relax at. Amen. You parents, you that have raised children, you know that, uh, that, that when your children become teenagers, that there's just some things you, have, you can't let up on. You have to just persist and keep going and be consistent. And I will tell you that prayer is the thing that we as a church must be consistent. We can't let up, we can't lighten up, and we can't give up. The souls of lost men and women hang in the balance of our prayers. The souls of our families are, are at stake through our prayer. While lost souls teeter on the brink of destruction, Many Christians in the world are unconcerned and prayerless. When prayer fails, Satan prevails. Amen. Let me say it again. When prayer fails, Satan prevails. The demons of hell rejoice 
when the child of God does not pray. Satan knows well that prayerless Christians are powerless Christians. I know it sounds like I'm preaching about a hundred cliches tonight, and that, and that might be fine. Maybe we will remember, but he knows that a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. Great power and great deliverance is possible, but only when we pray. Moses prayed and God spared Israel from judgment. Joshua prayed and God caused the sun to stand still. Samson prayed and God gave him a renewing of his strength. Hannah prayed and God gave her a man-child, the prophet Samuel. Solomon prayed and God gave him wisdom. Elijah prayed and God sent fire from heaven. Elisha prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Jonah prayed and God brought him out of the belly of a whale. The thief on the cross prayed and God gave him eternal life. Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God and God shook the prison and saved the jailer and delivered the men of God. In order to have great power, we have to have a prayer life. Amen. I submit to you tonight that the book of Acts is an account of a praying church. Prayer is mentioned in some form or another on 35 separate occasions in only 28 chapters. The book of Acts is the history of a praying church. Prayer is the secret of every Pentecostal blessing. For every powerful experience, prayer is the driving force. If you want boldness, you got to pray. If you want a powerful experience with God, you've got to pray. If you want the Holy Ghost to work miracles, you got to pray. When God shows up, something miraculous happens, and God shows up when we pray. Amen. God's only question, God's only question is anything too hard for the Lord. When God comes in, His power comes with Him. Wonderful things happen when the church prays. Marvelous and great things occur when the members of the church get in one accord and pray. When the book of Acts church prayed, an earthquake shook the house. When they prayed, all believers were filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm looking out across this congregation right now and I'm looking at families that, that you came and you said, Pastor, help me pray for so-and-so. Help me pray for my children. Help me pray for this or that. And many of you have your answer sitting right beside you on the pew right now because things happen when God's people pray. Amen. When they prayed, all believers were filled with the Holy Ghost. When they prayed, they began to witness boldly. When they prayed, the church had great power. Amen. When they prayed, signs and wonders were done. Salvation and healing came. Praise and worship happened. 
And it all took place in the context of a praying church. The pattern that we find in the early church is that they prayed and then they prayed again and then they prayed again and they kept on praying. And the more they prayed, the more God moved. And the more God moved, the more they prayed. And the more they prayed, the more God moved. The secret to revival is prayer. Prayer. Say it with me. The secret to revival is prayer. The modern Pentecostal church cannot forget how to enter into the spirit of prayer. To discover the prayer closet. Just as individuals are to pray, a church body is to pray. I heard a quote from Brother T.F. Tenney many years ago, probably 30 years ago or so now. He said, all failure is prayer failure. All failure is prayer failure. A praying church can change its community. Praise the Lord. Amen. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. I feel like God's stirring us up fresh one more time to pray. Amen. Brother Wilson and I were having a, a conversation yesterday, and we were, talking about, we were talking about the condition of the church and what God's doing and, and the new people that are coming and all the things that, that we've been pushing and working towards. And, uh, and Brother Wilson said, he said, he said a, a statement to me yesterday. He said, Pastor, the church is praying, and a praying church can be a revival church. Amen. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for praying church. If you don't come to the prayer room at 6 o'clock on Sunday night, you're doing yourself a disservice. You talk about a powerful move of the Spirit in prayer. And you say, Pastor, why are you preaching about prayer when we've been having good prayer? I'm preaching about prayer because I want to keep on having good prayer. I realize that the fuel for this motor is the spirit of prayer that gets a hold of a church. I realize that what really changes families is when the spirit of prayer gets a hold of a family and they begin to pray. Can I tell you from my personal experience? Amen. I, I, I was, man, as a teenager, I was cold. I was cold towards God. I was more interested in girls than I was God. I went to church to see the girls, not to visit God. But there was something that the day that my life turned around, there were two things that I heard. And it was like, it was like God sent one on one shoulder, or behind one shoulder and one on the other. Sister Bessie Anderson taught the same Sunday school class. She was everybody, in the church I grew up in, she was everybody's first Sunday school teacher for over 45 years. She didn't get burned out. She might have got burned out, but she didn't quit. She just kept, and all the kids that came through that church for 45 years, she was their very first Sunday school teacher. Sister Becky, that night, Sister Becky, you know what? I still have people come to me and tell me that they learn more in your Sunday school class than at any time in their life. Thank you for teaching that class. I'm so glad you're back home. But sister, when I, when I was on the night that my life turned around, my, my, my first Sunday school teacher, by now she was, she was probably about 80 years old. She was over one shoulder, and my mom was over the other shoulder. And I was standing there, and I went to the altar just because, 
they said, everybody, come to the altar. And I stood on, I, I stood with my, the back of my legs against the front pew as far back as I could get. And they came behind the pew behind me, one over one shoulder and one over the other shoulder. And I listened to those two ladies pray. I started to say old ladies, but my mom really wasn't that old at that time. She just got old later. But, uh, but, but they prayed and they prayed. And I tried my best. I tried to tune it out. I had my arms folded. I tried my best, but, but the more they prayed, the more it started to break down that coldness inside of me. You want your family to have, have revival? It comes by prayer. There's something that can't be resisted, and that is the power of prayer. Amen. The pattern we find in the early church is they prayed. A praying church is a worshiping church. A congregation that does not pray does not consistently worship. But if we pray, it spawns a spontaneity in worship. You want to know why our Sunday evening services are so full of praise and worship and the power of God is explosive? It's because prayer in that prayer room is explosive. It translates from the prayer closet to the altar, from the prayer room to the pew. It translates from the prayer room to the pulpit. Things happen when we pray. A praying church is a soul-winning church. The reason converts are not one to the Lord is if the church is not praying for harvest. A church that is praying is going to be a soul-winning church. Amen. I, I, remember, and I remember years ago, I was preaching a youth conference in Indianapolis and me and the other speaker at the conference, so I, I always wanted to visit the church that Bishop G.T. Haywood pastored. Bishop G.T. Haywood was one of the foremost Pentecostal pioneers in the early 1900s. He was, he, in the time of segregation, in the time of a lot of racial discord, he was a black pastor that pastored the largest Pentecostal church that they knew of in the country. He spoke at every conference. If you've ever heard the old song, I See a Crimson Stream of Blood, it came from a prayer meeting that Bishop Haywood had. He knew his church needed revival. And so on a Sunday night, he told the church, I'm going to my office and I'm not coming out until I've heard from God. And so Monday he never came out, and Tuesday he didn't come out, and Wednesday they started church and he didn't come out, and Thursday and Friday and Saturday he didn't come out. But on Sunday morning when church started, he came down the aisle of the church and he went to the pulpit, maybe to the piano, I don't know if he played the piano or not, but he began to sing the song that God gave him in prayer, I see a crimson stream of blood, and revival broke out. Well, I went to visit that church. I wanted to go and be where that man of God had, had preached. And so I went, and when I went, the pastor was out, but there was an elder, an old gentleman from Vicksburg, Mississippi. At this time, he was like 93 years old. And, uh, and he, said, I, I, he said, Pastor, I'll take you in to the church. They were doing remodels, so I had to put a hard hat on. And he took us in the side door of this huge, massive sanctuary. And he said, there's been a lot of changes now. He said, but, uh, but, but just inside that side door, he said, this is where the pulpit used to be. And he said, this is where the bishop would preach. He said, I was just a little boy, but I remember Bishop Haywood preaching. And he, he, he began, this old, this old preacher in that church began to cry. 
And those tears began to roll down his face. And he said, Pastor, I remember when the bishop would preach. He said, there was such a move of the Spirit. There was such a power in prayer that when he preached, he said, there was always running. He said, they either ran to the altar or they ran out, but they couldn't stand still. There's something that happens when a church is built on powerful prayer. Prayer is the key to revival. A praying church is a soul winning church. Amen. You want me to preach better? Pray more for me. Amen. A praying church is a soul winning church. There's something about a praying church that as soon as a lost soul comes in the building, something clicks in somebody's heart. And they began to pray. You know what I would to God? And I've, I've been asking God to do it. I wish that God would raise up a hundred intercessors in this church. That while I'm preaching, they're sitting in their pew praying, God, let the word reach somebody. Let the word stir up a backslider. Let it set a sinner free. A praying church is a soul winning church. I feel the spirit of prayer coming on us fresh. Amen. Praying church is a giving church because praying people have faith that God will supply and provide. Praying people are not contentious. Praying people don't get bad attitudes and bad spirits at others. Praying people are not difficult to get along with. Amen. So there's really only one real problem in every church. All failure is prayer failure. To get the church on her knees before God is the question of this hour. A praying church is a powerful church. I was talking on the phone the other day to a pastor. He said, Pastor, he said, uh, he, he said we lost 30% of our congregation during COVID. He said, we shut down. We had outbreak after outbreak. We had to shut down over and over. He said, in about 30% of our church, and this is a, large, a larger church than, than ours. He said, 30% of my church never came back. He said, I, they, they, still, they, they still consider us their church. He said, but they never came back. He said, what, what have you seen? And, I, and I, 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 to be honest with you, I almost felt a little bit guilty for telling him that, you know what? Man, we've seen great revival. We baptized over 200 people in the last, in the last couple of years. We're seeing people come in and, and grow and get the Holy Ghost and get baptized. You know why? Because something happened that we began to pray different than we used to pray. Our prayer room is not like it was two years ago. I, I, I'm, I'm just telling, how many know that what I'm saying is the truth? It's a different church because we pray different. We worship different because we pray different. We reach different because we pray different. It all comes down to how we pray. And the key to the next level is not what we get and what we buy and what we purchase and what we build. The key to the next level for our church, for your family, for your friends, for your neighbors, the key is how we're going to pray Will we pray the next revival into existence? It's prayer, it's prayer, it's prayer. A praying church is a powerful church. Prayer is effective in our lives because God has chosen to use prayer as the means of making his purpose come to pass. 
I wish I had it in my notes. I was thinking about this verse yesterday. And it's in, it's in the old, I think it's in Isaiah. One of you Bible scholars with a good Bible app on your phone might be able to find it for me. But the Lord said, concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. Concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. Now, think about what the hand of God can do. Think about what the hand of God can do. The hand of God can take a drug addict and turn their life upside down. The hand of God can take a home that's fractured and full of discord and bring peace and mercy. The hand of God can reach to the coldest teenager that there might be and stir their heart up with fresh revival. The hand of God can reach where nobody else's hand can. The hand of God can touch what nobody else's hand can touch. The hand of God can fix what no master carpenter, what no machinist can fix. The hand of God. He said, if you want to know how my hand works concerning the work of my hand, command ye me. He said, you tell me what you want my hand to do. That doesn't work if we're selfish. That doesn't work if we're flesh-driven. That doesn't work if our desires. They, it's Isaiah 45, 11. Thank you, Brother Zach. Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his Maker, ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. Command ye me. God said, tell me what you want me to get my hand into. God, I want you to reach to my lost child way out there. And God, I'm going to ask your hand to come down and touch their heart right now, God. I'm not going to quit asking until you change the situation. He said, command ye me. Woo, hallelujah. I'll be honest with you. Now look, I'm always honest with you. I don't always tell you everything I think. But everything I tell you is, is, what I, is what I think. You follow what I'm saying? I didn't come here feeling a whole lot like feeling what I feel right now. Amen. But I feel, I feel the spirit of prayer getting a hold of somebody right now. There's some moms and dads that's been concerned about some things in your family. And you're thinking, God, I don't know how it's going to work out. I'm going to tell you how it's going to work out. He said, you tell my hand what you want me to do. And I'll do, and I'll move my hand where you go. A praying church is a powerful church. Something happens when we pray. Prayer is the greatest weapon the church has against sin, against carnality, against the world, against the devil. It's the power of prayer. Prayer is, an effective, prayer is effective in our lives because God has chosen to use it to bring about his purposes. Since God moved out of David's tabernacle and into the temple in Jerusalem, there's never been another place where he sanctioned that there be a holy of holies, a brazen altar, a table of showbread. There was only one sacred temple in the world, and that was in Jerusalem. The only part of that temple that is left at this time 
is the Western Wall. We, when, when the COVID lockdown happened, you, you've heard me say it, I've said it a, a Brazilian times. I, we were in Israel, a group from our church was in Israel when the COVID lockdown happened. We came back, I was dreading coming back through customs with that group. I got global entry. I just go and, and I just go to a little kiosk and I'm through five minutes, I'm, I'm out. But with that group, I knew we we're going to be in line for two, three hours trying to get everybody through that line. And when we got back to Chicago, it was, it was like a ghost town. There was, we were in and out 10 minutes, the whole group. It was as quick as it could be. The world had changed. But while I was in Israel, when, when we, the first day we were there, we went to the western wall of the temple. And there at that wall, people pray every day. They go all hours of the day to pray. You see them, you see them kneeling their foreheads against that. It's the only remaining wall of the old temple. And they, they rest their foreheads against those ancient stones and they pray. They step back and they rock back and forth and they ask God to move. They take prayer requests and they, they write them on little pieces of paper and they tuck them into the cracks between the stones of that ancient wall. And they pray and they pray. The only part of that temple that's left is that western wall. This church building is special to us. But it's not a sacred building to the world. There are no sacred buildings like that temple was. That temple in Jerusalem was the only place that God had a holy of holies. Amen. Now there's churches all over the world and thank God for it. But at that time... There was one place where they would go, and there the glory of God would dwell. It was the only geographical spot in the world where there was a holy place and a holy of holies. In that temple, there was preaching. In that temple, there was singing. But Jesus never said, my house shall be called a house of singing. And as much as I'm glad that he has preachers, he never said, my house shall be called a house of preaching. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Oh, God. You see, in those days, God help us. Woo, hallelujah. In those days when the nation was in trouble, they went to that temple and they prayed and offered sacrifice to God. When a family was in trouble, they went to that temple and they would pray and offer thanks to God. When there was a sin issue, the family would bring their best little lamb and they would bring it to the house of God. And the offender would put his hand on the head of that innocent lamb while the priest would cut its throat and he would feel the convulsions of that it's the innocent animal's body as it died. And the man would know that died because of me. And it was that, it was that, 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 that feeling of guilt. It was me going to the house of God and bringing my sin. And God knew that when a man sacrificed his lamb, 
that it was more than just a fly-by-night little feeling that you just come and say, God, forgive me, and walk away. But he literally had to feel the life draining out of that animal. And God knew that when a sacrifice was offered at the house of God, that it was not flippant and fly-by-night, and it wasn't passionless. There was a heart connection as they felt the life drain out of their sacrifice. And then when Jesus walked into the temple in Matthew, and while he's walking through the gate of the temple, he hears men negotiating and bartering over cheap sacrifices. I'll give you a couple of, a couple of coins and you give me a, a turtle dove and I'll sacrifice it. And then it doesn't cost, it doesn't cost me much. I didn't have to do anything for it. And they, he hears all this negotiating in the, in the core of the house of God. And he remembers what it was like when a man would bring his lamb and give his heart to God in that old temple. And Jesus, it rubbed it. Now look, I, I like, the, the, I like the, the, the Jesus that's sitting on a rock. And all the little children are, are gathered around him. And, and, you know, and he's smiling and he's, he's holding the little babies. And, 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 and I like the Jesus, the good shepherd, where he's got the, the cute little lamb over his shoulder. You know, and, the, and, and the, the sweet Jesus pictures that he's got his hand stretched out. I don't like the Jesus kicking tables over and taking a whip and knocking people out of the church. That's not an image that I like. But the only time we ever find Jesus... Responding to the emotion of anger was when he said, you've taken a house of prayer and you've cheapened it and turned it into something it's not supposed to be. The only thing that really made Jesus mad was when people didn't value the church as a house of prayer. Then as soon as he kicked them out, the Bible said the sick came to him in the temple. It was clear. The, the verse was clear. They came to him in the temple. The very next verse, he kicks them out. He kicks them out, kicks over their tables, knocks their, their, all their wares off the floor. He takes a whip and beats them out and runs them out of the court of the temple. And then he said, this is a house of prayer, and you turn it into a den of thieves. And then the very next verse, then they came. Then came the sick to him in the temple. And he healed them. The only thing holding back the miraculous power of God was that the spirit of prayer wasn't in the house of God like it ought to be. But as soon as he restored the spirit of prayer, the supernatural started flowing again. God, teach us to pray, teach us to pray, teach us to pray, teach us to pray. God, let this be a house of prayer. God, I'm thankful that we're known for our, for our worship, and I'm thankful that we're known for a lot of things. But God, if we're ever really going to be known, let it be known that we know how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. It wasn't the absence of preaching in the temple or the absence of singing, but it was the absence of prayer that angered Christ. Yes. 
The Bible says, and, and you can quote it with me, Acts 2, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then it was noised abroad, and then Peter preached the message. And when he preached the message, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you and your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. With many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And they were daily in the temple in prayer. They were daily in the temple in prayer. And the Bible closes that chapter by saying, And the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. I want an Acts 2 revival. You know what Acts 1 was all about? Acts 1 was all about prayer. Acts 1 was all about prayer. You want to know what birthed the Pentecostal church? The preaching didn't come until after it was born, until after the outpouring of the Spirit. Then he preached. Right? Look, I preach Sunday how important preaching is. So I'm not undoing what I preach Sunday. I'm, I'm just making a point that, the, that they didn't preach until after the Holy Ghost fell. There's no indication that they ever sang or worshipped or did anything until after the Holy Ghost fell. The only thing we know they did before the Holy Ghost fell was pray. The church was born in prayer, not preaching and singing and music. Hallelujah. Praise God. Woo, hallelujah. So God, if I want an Acts 2, I say it all the time. If we want what they had, we got to do what they did, right? If we want what they had, we have to do what they did. If we want an Acts 2, we have to have an Acts 1. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. The church was born when people were praying. Hallelujah. Oh, thank God. Amen. Why don't we lift our hands to heaven right now? 35 times in 28 chapters, the book of Acts church is praying. Prayer is the secret to a book of Acts revival. For every Pentecostal experience, prayer is the secret. If you want Pentecostal boldness, pray. In Acts 4, they were threatened and told not to preach anymore. So what did they do? They had a prayer meeting, and then they preached again. There was a spiritual instinct born in the church to pray. When intimidated, they prayed. When challenged, they prayed. When persecuted, they prayed. When in trouble, they prayed. I'm coming to a close here very quickly. Saul of Tarsus, later to be known as the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus was a violent persecutor of the church. He was personally responsible for people being thrown in prison 
for this message that you and I get to freely participate in tonight. He was present and complicit in the death of Stephen, a godly minister in the early church. Saul of Tarsus was passionate and violent and full of wrath and hatred for the people of God, for the church. He was the most feared man in the world when it came to the world of the church. They feared Saul of Tarsus more than the high priest, more than Caesar, more than the Roman legions. It was Saul of Tarsus that filled their nightmares. He was the most feared man in the church world at that time. And when the Lord spoke to an old man by the name of Ananias and said, go to a street called Straight Street and witness to Saul of Tarsus. Ananias argued with God. Can you imagine he's in a prayer meeting, God speaks to him, and God says, go to Saul of Tarsus. And he says, God, no, I'm not going there. (laughs) Here's what he said in verse 13 of Acts 9. Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. God, I, I know speaking. Can't do that. I'm not going to do that. I can't go to this man. He's violent. He's a murderer. He's a killer. He's full of wrath and hatred for believers. And if I go to him, I'm going to be the next scalp. I'm going to be the next head on his on his on his wall. I'm going to be the next victim of his of his anger and his hatred. Here's what God said, Acts 9 and 11. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. God knew that the early church believed in prayer to the point that if Ananias heard that Saul was praying, then there's there's a chance for revival. Even... If there's a Saul of Tarsus, prayer can change everything. When the old preacher Charles Finney of second great awakening fame of the 1800s, when he went somewhere, the first thing he did was get people to pray. When D.L. Moody went somewhere, the first thing he did was get people to pray. The American Great Awakening began after there was a revival of prayer across America. The Great Welsh Revival happened because of prayer. The first modern Pentecostal revival in Topeka, Kansas broke out in a prayer meeting and it spread to Azusa Street where they prayed. God's church is a praying church. There's a lot of people that hang around the church But it's the praying people that are the church. I love books. If you've been in my office, you know I love books. I got books stacked on the floor because I'm out of shelf space. I ordered two new shelves on Amazon. They never came in. They got lost, and I don't know if they ever refunded the money or not. I know I need more shelves. I love books. You know there's been more books written on marriage in the last 40 years than in any period of time in history. Did you know that? Statistically, there's more books written about marriage 
now than in the last 40 years than there's been written at any point in history. And if you talk to any pastor, he'll tell you that there's more wounded, broken, and struggling marriages than there's ever been. Do you know that in the last 40 years, there's been more books written about parenting than in any other period of time in history? Yet there's more young people on drugs, committing crime, attempting suicide, and being put in jails all over this country than ever. Do you know there's more gospel music available now than ever? At the touch of a finger, you can have any genre of religious music that you would like. You can go online at any moment and there's more preaching available now than there's ever been. There's more books, blogs, podcasts, music, preaching videos than ever before. And all of the books and the podcasts and the blogs and the preaching videos and all of that all added together at a, a rate that's, that's greater than there's ever been at any time in history. All that has brought is a more broken world than there's ever been. Because from coast to coast and pillar to post, America's prayer rooms have fallen silent and passionless. It's not a lack of music and books and preaching and blogs and podcasts and music. It's that the American Christian church has forgotten how to pray. Going to the prayer room and spending more time talking to others than to God is not fervent prayer. Coming to the altar and standing and discussing things with the person next to you is not fervent prayer. But if you look in the scripture, when there was church-wide prayer, there was always noise. I'm making a quick point and then I'm going to close because I, I really thought I'd, I was so tired when I came, I thought I'd be 25 minutes and done. I really had hoped I'd be in bed by now. But if you look in the Bible, in personal private prayer, the Bible says things like they meditated on the Lord. But if you ever look at corporate prayer, it always involved voices, sound. It says things like they lifted up their voice to the Lord. There's something powerful that's released when a saint of God finds their voice in prayer. Because there's some things you can think, and if you never say it, then you don't have to be embarrassed if it doesn't happen. If you have a dream that you want to see God do and you don't speak it, you don't have to be embarrassed if it doesn't work out or, or well, they think they've got all that. that but, but there's something that happens when you open your mouth and you speak it in corporate prayer. Because it takes a seed of faith to let it come out your mouth. That it doesn't take when you're bowed down quietly by yourself. And so when you look at the Bible, very often when it's personal, private, devotion, prayer, person by themselves talking to God. It's a prayer closet, a secret place. 
they meditate on the Lord. But when you find corporate church prayer, it's always a voice. They lifted up their voice unto the Lord. The church in America must find her voice in prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. It's demonstrated in the life of Elijah. The Bible said that when he was alone praying, it said that he bowed down before the Lord and put his face between his knees and spoke to God. But when he was praying before the people, the Bible said that he called on the name of the Lord. Acts 4 tells us that when the church, the early church at prayer, lifted up their voice to God with one accord. God, teach us to pray. The Lord spoke to me two years ago when I was in the country of Nepal. spoke to me and I would forgotten about it I just found it today just found it written today it says a passive church will never overcome a passionate devil a passive church will never overcome a passionate devil why don't you lift your hands all over this place I'm closing you can stand with me Spirit of prayer, get a hold of me. God, let the spirit of prayer get a hold of my mind and my heart. God, let the spirit of prayer stir up my spirit, God. Lord, let me have the spirit of prayer in my life. Prayer can do everything God can do. Concerning the work of my hands, command me tell me God's given an invitation to someone right now to ask God's hand to do something but you got to find your voice in prayer you ought to speak it out you don't have to scream it out but the Bible said they lifted up their voice to the Lord you ought to say God save my family God reach my spouse God, stir up my mom and dad. God, save my friends. My house shall be called. If you can't say it here, brother, you can't say it anywhere. Because this is a house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Everybody, whatever you're going through, this is your house for prayer. Whatever you're fighting, this is your house for prayer. Whatever you're going through and dealing with and struggling with, this is your house of prayer. You have the right to open your mouth in this house and talk to God. Oh, let's do it right now. I'm going to close. I'm, I'm, I'm actually closing right now. But why, why don't you just begin to ask God? Why don't you find your voice in prayer right now for things?
why don't you help me pray that the spirit of prayer would sweep through this congregation fresh. That every new convert that comes to this church would be baptized with the spirit of prayer. That our young people would be anointed to pray. That our growth classes would be filled with praying children's department will produce prayer warriors. That our prayer rooms won't be silent and cold and quiet. That our altars will be full of tears and passion. God send revival. God send revival. God send revival. It's a house of prayer. with their co-workers, with their boss, with their company. God, let your favor come on your people. Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord here. I feel like some things are changing in the spirit right now.
Sunday school classrooms with prayer. God, baptize our youth rooms, our growth classrooms with prayer. Baptize our music program with prayer. Our men's ministry, our women's ministry with prayer. Our media ministry, God. Baptize me with the spirit of prayer. represented by these names, God. God, touch these people that are represented by the names and these charms. God, that need renewing. Oh, God, that need saving, that need their lives turned around. Oh, Holy Ghost, move, God. church, God. Put your hand on our lives. Put your hand on the men and women and young people and children of this church. God, put your hand on our moms and dads. Give them wisdom to raise their children. with another wave of revival, God.
Amen. We got one to be baptized in Jesus' name on a Wednesday night Bible study. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Prayer works, folks. Prayer works. Prayer works. Prayer changes things. Amen. Why don't we lift our hands all over this place? And one more time, why don't we just say, God, baptize me with anointing to pray. Possibilities that are becoming possible because we're praying the hand of God onto it. There's things that could not be otherwise done except for the fact that we're praying the hand of God to move. your people. God, these are wonderful people. God, they respond when your spirit moves. They love souls. They love your work. They love their families and they love your kingdom. God, I'm asking you to put your, your hand of blessing. Lord, this inflation didn't catch you by surprise. God, their money's not going as far as it used to. God, I'm asking you to place your blessing on your people, God, that you said you'd make them the head and not the tail, and that your blessing would overtake them. And so, God, I pray your blessing on your people. God, is a testimony of what faithfulness and prayer and service to you will do. I pray, God, you bless their marriages, their children. Bless their mind. Give them hope and peace. Bless their bodies, O oh God, with health and strength and healing. And God, most of all, bless their soul to be fat in the spirit, just like your word says. God, to be mighty in the spirit, to be bold in the spirit, to be led by the spirit. I pray, God, great grace upon your people. And I do it in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. You pray as long as you like. You can be dismissed at your own discretion.